This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Mark chapter number 11 will begin in just a moment in verse number 15. Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 15. As we come to Mark chapter 11, as we began looking last week at uh, the two incidents which are recorded here and are interwoven, we're in the final week of the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And uh, he is uh, coming into Jerusalem in the day, leaving and going into Bethany in the evening. And as he came into Jerusalem one morning, he found a fig tree. And uh, the fig tree had leaves, which uh, portrayed the fact that when a fig tree has leaves, it also has fruit. And he went to the fig tree to receive the fruit to eat, for he was hungry, the Bible tells us. But he did not find on the fig tree any fruit. Now, we need to understand this was not just this curse and this incident of the fig tree is not just recorded for us because Jesus happened to be hungry that day and was upset that there was nothing to eat. He is teaching his disciples a very, a very solemn truth, and, and he's speaking to the entire nation of Israel concerning that truth because the two incidents that are recorded here, the cursing of the fig tree and the cleansing of the temple, illustrate for us a very, very similar truth. He is dealing here with the unfruitfulness of the nation of Israel. They were going through all of the religious practices. They were fulfilling their religious responsibilities. They, they pretended, if you would, to be what the world needed. Remember now, God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he established through Abraham the nation of Israel. Now, he did not do that because he just wanted to be good to Israel. He did that so that by establishing the nation of Israel and by blessing them, they would in turn be a testimony to all the nations of the world concerning who was the true and the living God. They were given the law of God. They uh, were revealing uh, through uh, the prophets that God established there and through the, 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 the lives of the nation and his blessings upon them who the true and the living God was. So sometimes people get in their mind that the Lord just chose to be good to one particular nation. No, God chose one particular nation in the midst of all the nations so that he could be good, not just to that particular nation, but that he might be good to all the nations. And so this, this, this thought about the, the fruit of the tree and this thought that we're coming to with the, the cleansing of the temple was not just a matter of he's unhappy with them, although he's unhappy with them. He is unhappy because they have failed to bring glory to him and they have failed to do what he has given them to do. 
And so as we sit here this morning, it's 2019, and we think about Jesus and his disciples in a fig tree, and then we think about him going into the temple, which we're going to read about. We might wonder, well, what does this really have to do to us or do with us? And I want to remind you what Paul said to Timothy before I read the text. In 2 Timothy chapter number 3, let me remind you what he said to, to Timothy. He said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Would you agree with that statement this morning, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? That means we believe God is the author of it. He inspired it. He breathed it. And it is profitable, meaning that it is good for us. Now, what is it good for? Well, he tells us in verse 16, doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's what I want, I want to encourage you. As we look at this passage this morning, I want you to remember that God inspired and recorded this and preserved it for us, and God wants to speak to us this morning through his word. And so I, I want to invite your attention to the word of God. And I want you to pray in your heart with me that God would bless the reading of his word and that God would speak to our hearts today and that God would speak to our church. And so let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we hold in our hands the inspired and inerrant, infallible word of God that has been preserved through the ages and now we hold it in our hands. We pray not only that we would hold it in our hands, but that it would hold us and that we would hold it in our hearts as you reveal your truth to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've come to verse number 15, Mark chapter 11, and they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. And he overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all people was astonished at his doctrine. We consider this morning the house of prayer, the house of prayer. And these incidents, as I've mentioned to you, are interwoven throughout this narrative. And we find that, the, that, that these events and the subsequent teaching that result from these events and the teaching that the Lord Jesus speaks in chapter number 12 serve to the Jews as a reproof for the unfruitfulness of their religious worship. And uh, it speaks not only of that, but it also speaks of the Lord's purpose as you come to the end of the age of the law and you come into the church age, which the Lord Jesus Christ established the church. He is coming as the lawgiver. He is coming as the one who fulfilled the law, and he is going to die upon the cross. And he's warning the Jews at this point, that their nation, as they know it, is about to be destroyed. 
And history tells us that just within about 100 years of his death, the nation of Israel, the Jews' seat, capital in Jerusalem, is destroyed and the nation is scattered and basically will cease to exist, although the people will continue. And that nation did not come back together until 1948. As that nation is dispensed and dispersed throughout the world, God says, I'm setting aside for a time the nation of Israel, and I'm bringing in a new age. I'm bringing in a new nation made up of all the nations of the earth. And what they hold in common is not their blood or the color of their skin. What they hold in common is their faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will comprise the church of the living God. And by the way, that's us. And so in these passages and this parable of the fig tree, the parable of the vineyard in chapter 12, and the cleansing of the temple, we find that God is revealing, the Son of God is revealing, as he approaches the time of his death, he is revealing what he is going to do. And he is revealing judgment against the house of Israel. And so this is a time of transition. And we find in this passage that Jesus enters into the temple, and when he gets into the temple, he finds in the court of the Gentiles, he finds uh, basically a flea market of major proportions, Uh, a cattle sale. I remember going to the stockyard with my uncle years ago, and they were selling horses, and they were selling cattle. And uh, I can see a similar scene because the, the worshipers have come to Jerusalem. It is estimated that approximately 2.7 million people were in Jerusalem uh, for the Passover. And the Jews had come from all regions to Jerusalem to give the sacrifice and to worship God at the time of the Passover. And so it would have been very important for them to have an animal to give to the sacrifice, but because of the distances they had to travel, they weren't able to bring those from their lands, so they brought money with them. And there in Jerusalem, they purchased the animal that they would sacrifice. They also had to give to the treasury, but they could not give the coins of the Gentiles, so they had to trade their currency so that they could find the commonly accepted currency that would be used in the temple, and they could give their offering to the Lord. And so when the Lord comes into the temple area and to the court of the Gentiles, he finds it is, it's a market. The high priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they have sold booths, like a flea market dealer would sell, uh, to vendors who were selling animals and, and who were trading currency, and they were doing this at an exorbitant rate. They were profiting off of the worship of God's people. When you go into an athletic event and you go to purchase a drink or a popcorn or a hot dog, you're going to pay a lot more for it, right? You're going to pay extra for it. $5 for a large Coca-Cola. 
I remember when I was a boy, I'd say to my dad, hey, dad, can we stop at Kay's ice cream? He said, why should we do that? We can buy a whole half a gallon for what it would cost you for two scoops. Every once in a while, he did stop, by the way. You see, here they are taking advantage of the situation. And what is their motive, I might ask you? Their motive is not to worship God. Their motive is not to encourage people to worship God. Their motive is to profit and enrich themselves by abusing the worship of God. And how do you think the people perceive that? And, and, and how many people do you think it helped come to know the true and the living God? Now, it's interesting to note that a lot of this was transpiring, as I mentioned earlier, in the court of the Gentiles. Now, let's, let's think about who the Gentiles are. The Gentiles are not people who are part of the nation of Israel. They're the other nations. Hey, how many of you are Gentiles this morning? Aren't you glad for the court of the Gentiles? That God provided a way for the Gentiles to come into the temple to worship God? You see, again, God established the nation of Israel so that they might be a witness of the who the true and the living God was so that the Gentiles who did not know God could come to know God. And God made access for them to come into his temple and worship him. And now it is the most important time of the year for people to come and worship God. But in the court of the Gentiles, there's no room for any Gentile to pass because it's filled with merchandisers. And Jesus is furious. He's angry. Now, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Do you know there is righteous indignation? And Jesus is furious, but we know he sinned not. And he's going to deal with this awful sin because the people who are being hurt are those Gentiles who want to come and worship God. And the ones who are being robbed are those worshipers. But can I tell you somebody else who's being robbed? God himself is being robbed. And what is he being robbed of? He's being robbed of his glory. He's being robbed of the worship of the people that he so richly deserves. Because they took the house of prayer and they made it a den of thieves. Now, I want to call your attention to some things this morning as we examine this passage. First of all, I want you to see the corruption of the house. The corruption of the house. Notice again in this passage, the Lord says, uh, the, the Bible says, they, came to, they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. Immediately when he sees them, he says, hey, fellas, it's time to get out of here. You're in the wrong place. And so he begins to cast them out. The Bible says he and overthrew the tables of the money changers. <laughs> he went right up to their table, and he grabbed a hold of one end of it, and he overthrew it. He flipped it, everything on it falling off. 
He's saying, get out of here. This is not the place for you to profit off of God's people. He overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. They tell us that the court of of the Gentiles is strategically located in the very center of the city, and people would use the court of the Gentiles because the Jews really despised the Gentiles and really didn't care much for them. They would use the court of the Gentiles as a shortcut to get across town easier. They were taking ground that Solomon had dedicated, and they were using that as a shortcut to get through town. And so the Lord, seeing people carrying vessels through the temple, he wouldn't allow it. And he taught them, (coughs) saying unto them, verse 17, is it not written, my house shall be called a house, shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it the den of thieves. Now, where is that written? It's written in Isaiah chapter 56. And I'd like for you to look there with me because I, I think it's important for us to note. I, I, I think a key phrase that we find there is when the Lord said, of all nations. Because what we find is that he is a God of all nations. He is a God who desires that all nations would know him. Isaiah chapter 56. Let's begin reading in verse number one. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice. For my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this and the son of man layeth hold on it that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuchs say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house, and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, verse 6, the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. For mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. (laughs) Do you see the heart of God? I want all those Gentiles who think they have no way to come to this temple. I want them to know that they can come. I want the eunuchs who could never produce an offspring to understand that if they will worship me and honor me, I'll give them something better than a son. I'll give them a name within the walls of my house. I'll accept them. I will love them. I will eternally save them. Oh, I will give them an inheritance that could never be uh, even, even touched or surpassed in this world. You see the heart of God? 
By the way, God's heart for them is the same today. But no longer at this time is he dealing with a nation of people called the Jews. He's dealing with a nation of people called the church. He's speaking to us. Now we see that this temple is not what it was supposed to be. It had been corrupted. It had become dirty because those who were coming to worship had no place to come into worship because it was a bazaar. It was a flea market. It was a cattle sale. You know what the Bible tells us? The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Do you know who we are as the people of God? We're the church of the living God. We are the people who know God, and we are the people who have been uh, commissioned to tell them, to deliver, to proclaim the message of God to a lost and dying world. And when we gather together, when the Lord's house uh, assembly gathers together, we're here to worship him. And we're to invite our community to have access to God. And we have to understand what our purpose is here. The purpose is not, in this passage, for the Jews to enrich themselves. The purpose is to worship God. But they, begot, they began to grow interested in the ability they had to make money and to gain the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that the love of money is the root of evil. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter number 2 that Eli the prophet had, and the priest rather, Eli the priest had sons. And the Bible says they were called the sons of Belial. That's a, that's a term that means they were more like children of the devil. And they were priests. And when the people would come to give their sacrifices unto the Lord, do you know what those two boys would do? They would abuse the privilege that they had, and they would say, look, you give that portion to me. That was the portion that belonged to God, but they decided that they themselves wanted it. And so they took it from the people. The Bible says by force. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 17, this was the result Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Here's what happened. People didn't want to come and bring their offering to God because of these two crooks. They, they, they got tired of, of trying to worship God because here these two men were who were supposed to be uh, interceding for them, who were supposed to be helping them, were men who only cared about themselves. Now, I want you to go with me into the Peter's epistle. And so if you would, go with me there. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And, and, and please relax, because we're not going to get through this this morning. That's all the more reason to be back tonight, right? 
First Peter chapter number two and verse number five. Somebody set an alarm, so the pastor has to be done. First Peter chapter number two and verse five. Let's back it up. Verse, verse number four. Verse three. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming is unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. That's speaking of Jesus. Ye also as lively stones, that's believers, are built up to a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. Verse 9. But ye, that is, those who believe upon the Lord, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what does the Bible say about us, the church? We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. Those sons of Samuel, what were they? They were priests by occupation. Now God has made us priests as members of his church. A peculiar people. We are a people set apart for him. That's what that means. God has made us a chosen generation. God has made a nation out of us, and we are to be as the people of Israel in that day, as the priests were, we are, to, we are to be witnesses to bring people into the house of God so that they can know God and worship God. But when we make it about us, we turn people away. We turn people off. And most of us are thinking as we read this text about some preacher or, or some person in a church who is trying to enrich themselves or profit off the people. And I've met people who've done that. Some of us may be thinking about people who try to use the church as a contact for their business, and that certainly should not take place. We're not a business network. We're the church of the living God. But I think a broader application is to all of us who think that this church exists for our own benefit. And let me ask you a question. How many times have selfish, self-absorbed people who insist in having it their way forgotten what this is all about and have made it a den of thieves? Maybe they're not reaching in the plate with their hands, but they're robbing God of his glory by ascribing unto men glory that men do not deserve. How many churches have we heard about through the years that have really developed a poor testimony 
because of pride and strife and disagreement, not based upon the essential doctrines of God's word, but based upon human preferences that are rooted in hearts of pride. And do you know who loses in that situation? The people who don't know God, who could know God, if the people of God made it about God and bringing them to God. That's who loses. God is robbed of his glory. Churches are hampered and hindered. The future generations are hurt. And I want to tell you, I want to commend our church for being faithful for all these years and for sticking to the truth and for getting through difficulties. And may God help us to always remember who it is we are here to serve. We are not here to serve ourselves. We are here to serve the only one who is worthy of our worship, Jesus Christ the Lord. And so I pray the Holy Spirit would reveal this truth to us. They made it about them. He said, wait a minute. It's about me, not them, not you. I want people to know me. And therefore, when you come into the house of God to worship and you bring in this selfish motive that says, we're here to hear you. We're here to cater to you. Brother Odom sent me a powerful quote this week that is in the book that the ladies are studying. And he's helping put together those handouts for the Wednesday night Bible study. He said, this thing is powerful. And it is. And he was talking in the book, or the author, the lady, was talking in the book concerning how people use the church. As long as things are going the way they like for them to go, they're happy to be a part. But if it no longer benefits them, if it doesn't fit their schedule, if, if they don't really like some of the things or decisions that are made, they just simply jump off and get in another vehicle. That characterizes the spirit of this age, does it not? Can I tell you, the Bible uses the language here in 1 Peter chapter number 2 of stones. You know what those stones were used for? They were used for the construction of the temple. When Jesus speaks of the chief cornerstone, he's speaking of the cornerstone of the temple. And that temple is formed. Those rocks are placed around that cornerstone to form that structure. And the Bible tells us that that structure makes up the house of God. And the imagery that Peter gives us is this, is that we are the lively stones that God has placed together to form the structure of God. We are, as a church, the house of God, designed and built by God. Therefore, it's more than just deciding what restaurant you're going to go to when you think about a church. Well, I like that place because they have good mashed potatoes. Well, I don't like that place because though they have good fish, mashed potatoes, they don't have good fish. So I want to go to the other place. 
And our taste buds change by the day, do they not? No, no. We are part of the church of the living God. He has purchased us with his own blood. He has quarried us out of the mountain. He has formed us and made us lively stones. And he has placed us together for a habitation of God in the spirit so that a lost and dying world, those Jews, I mean those Gentiles rather, without the nation of God could come to know who the true and the living God is. And that is why he has placed us here. That is why he placed the Jews there. That is why they had the temple in Jerusalem. But they forgot about what the purpose was and they corrupted the house of God. God cannot live in a dirty house. Not only do we see the corruption of the house, but thanks be to God, we see the cleansing of the house. You know, the Bible teaches us our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides in us, not in a building, not in this auditorium, but in you and in us as a corporate body. And our houses get dirty, don't they? We get full of self. We get full of sin, full of pride, full of lust, full of covetousness, full of envy, full of whispering and backbiting, full of hatred and emulations and varyings and strifes. The house gets dirty, but it has to be cleaned. And I'm thankful that God says that if I will confess my sin, that he is faithful and he is just, to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And Jesus did not leave that house as he found it dirty. He cleansed it. And he wants to cleanse you. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.